why do content creators fail? And most content creators do fail is because they don't realize that it's going to take you 18, 24, 30 months to be able to support yourself. I'm not even talking about making money. I'm just talking about supporting yourself if you don't have somebody in the household that's helping you at this time. And it's the same thing for content marketers. It's like, okay, why do they fail in building an audience? Well, they stop, they treat it as a campaign and not an ongoing thing, or they have no differentiation area. They're creating content just like everyone else. And it's a big waste of time. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff, actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you will learn how content creators can become content entrepreneurs. My guest today is the godfather, the pioneer, the mastermind, the visionary, the trailblazer, la crème de la crème of content marketing. He's the founder of several startups, including The Tilt, the Creator Economy Expo that is running pretty soon, the best-selling author of seven books, including Content Inc. and Epic Content Marketing, which I believe there's a second version, second edition that's been released. I've been admiring my guest for years when I started my career. I remember looking up to him quite a lot. So it's always amazing to be able to talk to the people you admire. So Joe Pulisi. Welcome aboard. Louis, it's a pleasure. I'm so thankful that you got the podcast going and uh, we were able to touch base on LinkedIn and make this thing happen. So thank you. LinkedIn is really becoming an interesting place. It used to be about CVs and finding jobs. And in the last few years, it's just completely changed. But going to the meat of it, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, isn't the term creator just a fancy term for influencer? I think I see it as two different things. Honestly, whatever people want to believe is fine. And I wouldn't even say creator, Louis. I would say content creator because a creator, I don't even know what a creator is. And that's some of the issues I have with the term creator economy. But influencer, it doesn't necessarily mean content creator. You don't necessarily create valuable, compelling and relevant information on a regular basis. You're not necessarily on YouTube or doing podcasts. Influencers can be, I mean, is that the Kardashians? I don't know. An influencer can influence, can be a celebrity. You could be an influencer for doing something really stupid. I don't know. But when I look at creator and I, of course, immediately see content creator, I see somebody that's a little media company that's trying to build an audience, hopefully a community, monetize that audience over a long period of time and actually make a successful business and not be beholden to anyone else financially. So that's what I look at. So it's, I see it very, very differently. For the, the purpose of this episode, we're talking about content creator because the link is quite evident from your previous kind of focus. Obviously, you haven't left the focus of content marketing, but you were actually the one coining the term in, back in like decades ago, because you're old, right? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I did not coin content marketing, but I probably helped popularize it. So, it, which is fine. Was it back in 2003? And I started using it in 01. There were a couple people that threw it around in 95 and 96, not really in our field, but I don't like to say that I'm responsible for things when I'm not. But when we really kicked off with Content Marketing Institute then in 07, 08 and on, that's when it, it really started to hit home and other people started to gravitate toward that term. And honestly, the only reason there's a term that I espouse to, which is called content marketing, is because I needed to sell content marketing services. I was in the custom publishing industry and I was talking to chief marketing officers. We were talking about this industry of custom media and custom publishing and custom content. When I talked to CMOs, they said, this is not for me. 
And then that I realized, oh, if I need to sell this thing, I actually have to call it something marketing, like search engine marketing and direct marketing. So we said, that's the content marketing makes the most sense. I took it for a ride. I took it on a lot of sales calls. It felt right. And here we are talking about it. Here we are. Okay. So today in this episode, I really want to go through a step-by-step with you because you have the knowledge, the know-how, the experience, you've made the mistakes to be able to do to create something from scratch, in a sense, as a in this creator economy or content creator economy. But before that, I just want to maybe hear from you briefly about specifically what we mean about content creators, like giving the biggest kind of example, not in terms of notoriety, but in terms of the types, right? What are we talking about here? So the easiest to just think about, are we talking about a blogger, a newsletter writer, YouTuber? We always start with kind of the platform that they're on, which is probably what we should talk about because the best way to succeed, and we'll talk about that in a second, is just focus on that platform. And then once you get to a certain level, what we call a minimum viable audience in Content Inc. book, it was a saying that was popularized by Brian Clark from Copyblogger, then you can go ahead and diversify into all these other areas. Most creators, content creators, get into diversifying immediately. Marketers do the same thing. It's like, oh, we got to do all the things because we can. There's a nice piece of research out by Content Marketing Institute that says the average company creates content 13 to 16 different ways and just throws it out there and just sees that anything sticks and it's a big waste of time. And it's unfortunate that they do that. So when people are hearing this, it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to pick a platform. I'm going to pick a content niche and I'm going to deliver amazing information in a consistent manner, just like AKA a media company. And when I do that, then I can build up enough audience to monetize that audience. And then of course they become, I mean, that's how every media company starts. And that's how I got interested in the model. Just because when you look back and you deconstruct the New York times, the financial times, Huffington post Buzzfeed, and you figure out how did they become these larger entities? It's like, Oh, they started with what we call a content tilt, a differentiation area. Oh, they started with just one platform. They built an audience through multiple ways to bring that in. Oh, and then they monetize that audience to six, seven, eight different ways. And then we can talk through all that stuff. But it's a really, really simple model that everyone tries to make more complex. But the ingredient that most creators don't want to hear, and you just have to be honest with them is it takes time. If you say, Joe, why do content creators fail? And most content creators do fail is because they don't realize that it's going to take you 18, 24, 30 months to be able to support yourself. I'm not even talking about making money. I'm just talking about supporting yourself if you don't have somebody in the household that's helping you at this time. And it's the same thing for content marketers. It's like, okay, why do they fail in building an audience? Well, they stop. They treat it as a campaign and not an ongoing thing. Or they have no differentiation area. They're creating content just like everyone else. And it's a big waste of time. I got an email recently from someone who's been subscribing to my stuff for a while. I was recommending a newsletter on in my newsletter. And she said... I realized I just went on the website, I just signed up, I didn't even look at what it was just because you recommended it and I trust you. And this is the kind of shit that you don't get from publishing on YouTube for a month or so. Before we go into the step-by-step, because I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked Seth Godin before, not exactly the same, but similar, which I think will be very interesting because you are, you have the answer already. Let's talk about this debate. I had this debate with another guest recently about quality versus quantity, right? And my view now, my view changes a lot, but my view on this changes a lot as well. My view now is it seems like we do need some quantity to understand what is quality and do more of it. And sometimes you think it's quality and it's going to be shit. What's your view on the quality versus quantity conundrum? Because it is a conundrum. I have used my 
colleague Robert Rose's statement forever. And he basically says, you actually want the minimum amount of content for the maximum amount of results. I do believe that. I'm not answering. I will answer your question. But basically, you want less content. Your job as a marketer or as a content creator is we don't want to create more content. We actually want to create less content. We want to make sure that content has incredible impact. Now I'll answer your question. I've seen it work. Like Andy Crustadina is interesting. If you look at what he's done in the digital marketing space, there was a while there where he had one amazing, incredible blog post per month. Research-based, it's like 3,000, 3,500 words. This thing was mammoth. And it was the best you could get on search engine optimization, organic findability, anywhere out there. And he built an audience that way and built a consulting business and an agency behind that. Could you do that today? I think you could, but you have to be, I think, out somewhere throwing out breadcrumbs on, let's say, LinkedIn. LinkedIn from the B2B standpoint, definitely. Maybe a Twitter, maybe a YouTube, something like that. So I guess what I would say is pick your battles. If I'm going to create, what's that one platform that you're going to do consistently over? Maybe it's your podcast. Maybe it's my newsletter, whatever the case is. So every week I'm showing up. That's my home base. And then what's the relationships you're going to build on the outside that create that's talking about content where you're getting people to know and learn about what you do, like Creator Economy Expo, like we're really in trying to promote that event right now. So what's the pinnacle event, pinnacle content piece that we're doing? God, we got the event. Well, how do we let people know about it? We've got 150 little relationships out there where we're giving them content and they're helping create content that's feeding that in so people understand and know about it, but hopefully it's value as we go. So you have to have some kind of breadcrumbs going out there. And so instead of saying, oh, okay, I'm going to do, if you're an individual content creator, instead of doing TikTok and YouTube and a podcast and a newsletter and be on LinkedIn and Twitter, whatever the case is, all the things, I would pick two. I would actually pick one. Be like, you and I reconnected on LinkedIn. I'm doubling down on LinkedIn. You've got some great stuff going on LinkedIn. And you've committed to that. For me to commit to LinkedIn, I've pretty much given up on Twitter. I mean, I'm there and I'll post something once a day or something. I don't even know. I can't put any faith in that platform right now because I don't know what's going to happen. But at least I know LinkedIn. And so every day I post at least once on LinkedIn and I'll make three to 10 comments on other people's site. And that's a really good formula. It works well. It's pretty proven to do that. Am I creating more content than I was before? No, I'm not creating any more content. I'm just focused. So when we go in, whenever I go in and I'll do, let's say somebody calls me and says, Joe, you're the content guy. Do a little consulting for me. Okay. I'll do a little cursory content audit. I'll see what they're doing. And then they say they want Joe to come up with the great content idea. What can we do? Should it be a YouTube series? Should we do something on TikTok? What's the thing? And almost every time, Louis, I'll say, you have to stop doing all this shit out here. You're just all over the place. It's content rung amok. You are wasting so many resources just being mediocre in the 13 to 16 different things that we talked about. And I'll say, you should pick out one home base that you could be great. And then maybe one social channel where you can bring in people from the outside, use your partnerships and leverage a platform that's not yours. Step by step. So I promise listeners that we'll get into the actual meat of it. We already started to talk about a lot of stuff that I'm sure we'll repeat, but here is the challenge for you. So imagine 
your job from three years ago where you decided to sell and you had nothing else to do when you're starting from scratch. Yeah. But imagine that no one knows you anymore. Okay. So imagine a job policy, no one knows. However, you can retain your knowledge. You have your experience and everything in your brain. So you have all that knowledge, but you don't have a network. You don't have a name. You don't have a personal brand. You don't have a business. You have nothing. Your goal is to go from that to being a content entrepreneur, right? How do we do it? And let's try to focus on first principles, things that won't change. Obviously, like you're not into talking about specific channels that much, trying to avoid, I would go on TikTok first for whatever reason. Sure. And just going from there, right? If you're smart about it, the first thing you want to do is figure out who you want to talk to. What you want to say and who you want to talk to go hand in hand. It's the same first step if you want to, but you'll get an advantage by saying, these are the people that I want to positively affect. Are you talking to veterinarians? Are you talking to dentists? construction workers, who are you talking to? Because that's going to mold who you are and what your content initiative is, because everything is different depending on what they need to hear. So how do you figure out who to talk to? What kind of questions can you ask yourself? Okay. You're getting up in the morning. Go back to first principles for it. You're getting up in the morning and you decide you want to be a content creator. What is the story you're going to tell to the group of people that you want to tell it to? And that's why I say, I don't know what comes first. Do you focus on that audience first? Do you focus on the thing? It really does go hand in hand. That's why when we talk about when you get started, you say, what is that sweet spot? The sweet spot is the intersection between the thing that you know really well and the pain points of the audience. So I guess to go back, you have to look at them simultaneously. I can't go and focus and say, I want to talk about this thing without at the same time understanding who I want to tell it to. Because if you get involved in any kind of conversation in the world, what you say is dependent on who you're talking to. I think so many creators get focused on, this is what I want to say. And honestly, who cares? Nobody cares what you want to say. It's the person that you actually are communicating to. I'm glad you're starting with this because most people, most marketers, most entrepreneurs definitely start with the product, the end product, and then they try to reverse engineer who the fuck is that supposed to be for. And I just can't stick it anymore. So I'm glad you mentioned that first. Competition is one of the things. How many are there with the exact same positioning or talking to the exact same audience? Would you just think about it in your head? Do you put it on paper? Do you like put it on Excel? Do you put it on fucking mirror or whatever the fuck? Yeah, I want to write it down. You write it down. Use a pencil or your computer and make a list of who's my competition in this area. This is why this is important, not necessarily for the names, but for the exercise. Because if you quickly get a list of 20 to 30 and you've barely tried, you're not niche enough. It's like, oh, God, I got to do all that. I want to get to a point where you're struggling to get to the top 10. So I'm back to my digital collectibles, basketball, blockchain to newbies and, you know, getting into who's doing that right now. And I've, oh man, I got three. You may have an opportunity there. If it's three to five, if it's less than 10, you got an opportunity. I know you're not going to have all the answers, but if you do some cursory research and you're doing your Google searches and you're talking to some people, you're talking to some people getting into that and you're talking to some experts in it, you can't fill that focus, then you might have something. So that's where I want to, if you make that list and really easy, you do it in 30 minutes and you're still growing that list, you're not niche enough and you can't go too niche. And this is the problem because so many content creators want to go broad because I want as big an audience as possible. It's like, oh, you're already screwed. 
they are also afraid of having a shrinking brain, right? They think that niching down will make them dumb and look at the same thing over and over again because it's too small. No, I think that once you get into that, you'll realize, oh my God, you'll be going down. It's so deep, right? There's so much to every, you can't, what'll happen, Louis, is you'll think you're too niche and you'll go down it and then you'll realize six months later, you weren't niche enough. Like you really should have gone further down the rabbit hole and figured that thing out. That's the whole beginning is what you, what the stories you want to tell, if you want to talk about it that way, what do you want to say? And then you match that up against the audience and their informational needs. So before we go into the story side, competition is one of the criteria. And then I think I can pick up a second one, which is like the growth, because when you saw the opportunity of content marketing, it was starting to emerge and it spotted the trend quite early. I think that's another criteria that is important. Sometimes there is like a shit hot new category that is emerging quite fast. And sometimes it makes total sense to just take that as a criteria, right? I mean, there could be no competition or very little, but if you really believe it's going to grow fast, then fucking go for it. Yeah. The hypothesis you make is important. I had a hypothesis in 2007 that this was going to be a thing, that there's all these pipes out there. There's Google plus all these social media pipes that companies are going to have to figure out what they're going to put into the pipes. And right now it was all this product stuff that was crap that nobody cared about. Somebody's going to have to teach them how to do that. So that's where I thought, oh, okay, I could see this exponential thing. So look five years down the road, what's changed? So let's go back to your initial example that we came up with. Digital basketball collectibles on the blockchain. How big could that be? And you could make the hypothesis and say, oh, this could really be something. It could be that 99% of future collectibles in basketball, pro basketball, are digitized. How are they digitized? We're going to bet it's on this blockchain or whatever thesis you have going through that. I want you to ask that question to see. And by the way, it's not that it can't work. If you say, oh, I want to be an expert in vinyl music, there's still a niche there. It's growing again. But it's been around a long time. Yeah, it's growing again. It's overgrown uh, the sales of CD. But so there's the other thing, right? I mean, ask yourself that question. And if you said, oh, I want to focus on CD, the output has never been a really good place to be. If you look at LaserDisc and then on with 8-track and everything else, that's a totally different thing. But ask the question, where is this industry going? Is there potential? It means that you need to know about the industry, which means you probably need to have previous experience in it. Either you've worked in it, either you have a hobby that made you get yourself educated for fucking years about yep. it. Or you're just extremely smart and you can soak up information to the point where you can curate other people's point of view. But again, it's quite rare to have that. So apart from the competition, the growth element, is there any other things that you'd like to look into when it comes to who to talk to? When you're in that period and you're figuring out because you're moving from the sweet spot area to choosing a content, like what we call a content tilt, like a true differentiation area. So that is when you want as much information as you possibly can. You might have already started and you've got a blog going or whatever you've got going. But I want to make sure I set up as many listening posts as possible. And I've been calling them listening posts for years. I don't know what you call them, but I want ways that I can get information from my audience in an ongoing daily way. And so I might do that on Twitter and LinkedIn, or I might have influencers that are in certain platforms that I listen to. I might look at search engine terms and what people are searching for. I might go to Google Trends and look at some of that information. I might use a tool like Moz or Ahrefs or whatever the case is to get more of that data as much as I possibly can. 
and I'll hopefully actually talk to the people in that industry. So, I mean, when I started in publishing, I was selling and my job, the publishers just said, you have to make five reader calls a week. I had to talk to five people who are reading our magazine every week. And I'm like, I'm selling to the other person. Like, why am I making this call? He's like, if you don't know your audience and reader, you can't sell effectively. So that's when I learned that. I learned that back in 2000. So 23 years ago. And that has stayed with me. And we don't have to talk to them necessarily face to face, but you have to integrate that. Your story is a good example of that about the experience side. Like you worked in publishing before for years. So it's not like you didn't come fresh out of college saying mm, content marketing is a thing. And I think it's, yeah, it's a very valid way to do it. So setting up listening spots, you said? Listening posts. Yeah, I call them listening posts. This is where you set your posts. This is where you can take that signal in and, and do something with that. Okay, so I take that signal. So then what's next? We have the competition growth setting up those listening posts. And then you mentioned the story, right? Like the, the intersection of the two, where you can be the only one doing that thing or saying that thing. How do you figure that out? You have to create the mission. Some people will call it an editorial mission statement. I call it a content mission statement. Doesn't matter what you call it. I want you to write that down. So what's the thing you're doing? I'm going to focus on who's my audience and put this in like a little mission statement. Who's the specific audience I'm going after? Two is what the heck am I going to tell stories about and how am I going to do that? This is where you can actually talk to channel if you start thinking about what channel this should go on. And the last one is what the audience outcome. What do they get out of it? And are you helping them live a better job, get a better life, learn something about this collectibles industry they didn't know before so they could make better buying decisions? Whatever the case is, put that down there. And I want to see that in some kind of a mission statement because that's your living, breathing document for how you're going to move forward. So it's like, oh, okay, I am going to target. Our goal is to create a daily email newsletter to content creators just starting out, what we would call content entrepreneurs, in order to help them build a financially sound business over time, whatever. Something like what we do at The Tilt. But that's what I would think about doing. And then you look at that thing and say, is that the thing? How do you know if that's the thing? And then you go for it. Then you go and you start the work. Okay. I'd like to say that there's a perfect way to do it, but you have a say in what you can then start creating. So if you really enjoy writing and writing's your thing and you have a skill at writing, then you're probably looking at more of I'm writing textual plus image content or I'm writing a newsletter. I'm writing on LinkedIn. So whatever that core platform, and I want you to pick a platform. But if you say, hey, I can do this video thing, you might say maybe it's YouTube shorts, maybe it's TikTok, maybe it's a YouTube series. If it's podcasting, great. You can do a podcast and you can distribute that on a regular basis. If you're more, if you've got a face for radio, if you will, you could focus on that. That's where now you need to make a decision. And that's where you have the choice. It's almost like the sorting hat for Harry Potter. It's like, you know which way you should go because the data tells you that these basketball collectors are mostly online and they're engaging in these platforms. But you're saying, no, I'm really good at this. I think there's an opportunity for podcasting. Maybe there's no podcast out there. Another great way to differentiate. So you're going to say, man, there's nobody doing this basketball collectibles blockchain thing as a podcast. John Lee Dumas is a really good example for Entrepreneurs on Fire. Did he do anything new with his entrepreneur podcast? No. There were a thousand other podcasts out there doing almost exactly what he was doing in a podcast. What did John Lee Dumas do differently? A daily, and which is really difficult. But he said, nobody's doing a daily podcast. So that's why he was able to break out. And that was part of his content tilt and differentiation area. 
Okay, let's say we found an opportunity. Let's see the opportunity is that no one in the basketball collectible area is talking about NFT. Let's consider that NFT was a good idea. Okay. Just uh, which you don't, but that's okay. As a thought experiment, okay? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it takes a lot of brain power to imagine, but let's imagine. What's next? So you started to talk about the platform and it seems like it's the intersection of your strengths, what you like doing, what you can basically be consistent with, right? So at this point, you have to choose how you're going to tell your stories on an ongoing basis. So do we think there's an opportunity for a pie? I want a platform. I want one platform and I want one social channel. That's all I want. One and one. Pick the one platform. So by platform, just to clearly define, are we talking about the things we can quote unquote own, like email list, podcasts? Yeah. Where's the regular thing that you're doing? Is it on YouTube? Is it part of a regular YouTube series? Is it a podcast in audio that you're doing once a week? Is this just a newsletter, Substack newsletter or ConvertKit newsletter or whatever the case is? So what's the thing? Figure out what that thing is you're going to do. And to your point about quantity, what can you do amazingly well with the resources you have? Let's just be honest, because some people can't. You might say, oh, my God, I'd love to do a daily YouTube series. And you're like, <laughs> they realize how hard it is to do that really, really well. And you have to eat and you have to do other things. You can't just focus on that every day at this point. I love it. You have to eat, right? Yeah. Don't forget, you have to eat. You can't just spend 24 hours. You also have to sleep. Don't forget. So you might say, okay, if you're going to do a YouTube series, right? And you want this to be regular because we want to do, we want to be like Norm Peterson, right? We want to show up at the same time every day, week, month, whatever your frequency is. And when we do, we want to be interesting. That's it. That's actually the two keys to content creation. You said, Joe, the two keys to content creation, once you do it, you have to show up consistently and you want, when you do so, you're interesting. That's it. So do those two things. And what can you do that? And you, you say, that's pretty good to my niche. So you might say, I can do weekly. So you end up doing a weekly show on YouTube and pick another social channel to help you spread that message. And again, your home base becomes YouTube. And that's where and your audience is already there, hopefully, and you're going to use the right keywords and you understand. All you, so you're going to get to know you. That's your thing. You're going to get to understand all the intricacies of YouTube better than anything else. Just like hopefully if you pick a podcast, same thing. If you pick a newsletter, you're going to understand, OK, how do people share newsletters and how do they get found? And how can I get found on Google and textual search and those types of things? So that's why you want to focus on one like Mr. Beast did. How did Mr. Beast become Mr. Beast? That's all he did was YouTube. He understands YouTube better than YouTube at this point because he started in 2012 and he didn't hit 30,000 subscribers until 2016. Four years, four years of creating videos until he got to a point that he had any kind of audience. Then it took off for him. So pick, choose. If you had to give one very specific tip for folks who are in this phase of not getting anything out of it or like feeling like there might be a bit of a growth, but not so much to stay the distance, like to really keep at it. What's your number one tip? This is probably terrible advice, but I'm going to say because it it's true. The number one skill that you can have for a content creator is patience. How do you stay patient? You have to cut back your expenses like nobody's business. And we did that. You need to look line by line. This is a life choice you're making. This is a business. So if you are going to survive, who are the most profitable companies, startups starting out? They're usually the ones that have little to no expenses. 
You can bring down, look at your personal expenses, look at your business expenses. Again, another reason why we don't want to do 18 things at once, because if you do, you're going to have a lot of expenses. You have a lot of production expenses, content expenses, hosting expenses. We want to bring that down. We need to do one or two things really well. So bring your expenses down to a point where they're manageable so that all you need is a little bit of revenue. And you're like, oh, my God, we're almost at break even. A little bit more revenue. Oh, my God, you get a little profit. And then when you really start going with the revenue, then you can start spending more money. But I would bring that down to you might have to look at your streaming choices and say, I'm not going to Netflix. No, not doing that. I'm not doing YouTube premium. I'm not. I would say no to all those things. As that really saved us, I would imagine that if we didn't make those tough decisions back in 2007, we'd have never been able to make it. Yeah, I appreciate your honesty, man. It's important for people to hear that because it's so easy to just look at the Instagram and LinkedIn or whatever and just see people being successful, but it's never the full story. Far from it. People are not really jumping or running to share their, you know, when they have the shitty months or shitty 60 years or whatever. It connects with me as well because that's what I did. I kept things extremely lean on purpose. I really forced myself not to go out on my own forever until I felt the pressure to do it because people were asking or I just couldn't juggle both anymore. And in terms of expenses, we live quite a frugal life with my wife. And so we never really had this issue to cut down. But absolutely, you can't have a lavish lifestyle, expect to have a lavish lifestyle, become a millionaire and selling your company like you did and all of that. Impossible. You have to fucking keep lean for years and years. So I appreciate that. No, it's so good. And you probably have your friends. I have some friends that I know that they've got the three Teslas and they've got the brand new house and they go on vacation to these lag. And I, when I look and I say, I know that person's hurting. I know that person's in debt. I can see it. So I can see somebody that's only making 50 or $60,000 a year, but they have no expenses. I said, that person is more profitable than the one that's a million dollars in debt every year. Let's be smart about it. And that's a big lesson to learn. We could buy a car a new car, but we only, like I bought a, an old Volkswagen Golf, like 2007, just to bring my daughter to childcare. Like I, we don't need much more than that, even if we could. Yeah. So that's a big lesson as well. The last thing I want to touch on briefly is the revenue model. And I know you have some views on it. So if you had to tell me the, maybe the top five revenue models that happens once you start getting traction, what are they? So low hanging fruit revenue is sponsorship revenue. If you do this right, you will have people in your audience that also want to spend money with you. So when you start this thing, make sure you have a little thing for support my show or sponsorship advertising or something. People will fill that out. You'll be very surprised. So the, that low hanging fruit is generally sponsorship, advertising of the thing, of the show, whatever. So that's your low hanging fruit. Then you go into, you might say, oh, okay, premium content is a good one. Are you going to sell an ebook, a how-to, a checklist? Those things can be also, they can be lead magnets for your email. So you get that addressable audience, but they can also be revenue generating. Like I've done, as you said, I've written many books. There's a little bit of profit there. Most of them are audience builders, but you can create all kinds of eBooks and be successful courses, memberships. There's 33% of the audience does some kind of affiliate marketing. That's a lot of, that's some low hanging fruit there. I would say that if the top two low hanging fruits, probably sponsorship advertising and second is affiliate marketing. And then you get into somewhere you might be a little bit riskier, but we made it through the event model. Content marketing world was created in 2011. I was hoping for 100, 150 people to come to Cleveland, Ohio for this big content marketing event. We had 660 attend that first event. We were profitable first year. It doesn't always happen that way. Generally profitable third year is really good for an event. 
but we were able to do it. If you hit on something, you could be profitable right away. And the great thing about events is they sell really well. So you, somebody will always looking to buy an in-person event and they generally go between eight to 10 times EBITDA earnings or two times revenue, if you will, maybe sometimes more. So that's what saved us that when you saw when people say, oh, you sold Content Marketing Institute. Yes, we sold Content Marketing Institute, but because of Content Marketing World, that's why people purchased us. So that's your starting. And the more, more a little, and you're going to test a lot at the start. You can test and see which one works and then go all and say, oh, no, this sponsorship model works really well. Or no, I think we've got an event or a virtual event model. There's lots of different ways to package up this content for people willing to pay. Also, don't discount donations. But people just might want to support you and say, hey, I've got a membership donation thing where every month uh, somebody wants to give you $10 or $20 or whatever. They might be willing to do that. Don't discount that depending on what you're doing. People want to see you succeed that are in your audience. So give them the opportunity to do that for you. Thanks, Matt, for going through that step by step. I'm just going to summarize because I'm actually taking notes this year. So you need to figure out who you want to talk to. You want to figure out the story you want to tell them. And you want to find this kind of intersection, this gap, this tilt that gives you an edge, right? You want to identify your competition. Is there many? Is there a few? Is there none? Is the thing you want to go into, is it growing? Is it not? You want to also set up listening posts to get info from your audience from different places. And then write down your mission. What's the thing you're doing? What am I going to tell? And what's the outcome for them? And then it's a bit like the starting hats in Harry Potter. I wrote down starting hats. You pick one platform on social and you just start fucking executing as much as you can, learning from it and stay the distance for three, like two, three, four years plus. And then you can go into or try sponsorship courses, membership events, premium content donation. Is that a good summary? That's a pretty darn good summary. And when you make it that far, so a lot of people will be just with the three-year thing, they're going to be out. They're tapping out. They're like, I'm not going to do it. But I tell you, if you can make it, it is absolutely because you're basically you're not living for somebody else's business. You can live on your terms. You can set your hours. Family comes first. Whatever is important to you. Remember, we create business so we can live. This is why I love this business model, because you can structure it however you want to structure it once you build an audience and you're making money while you sleep in whatever those revenue formats we're talking about. Yeah, 100 percent. Completely agree with that as well. So last question that I ask everyone before. I'll let you go. What are the top three resources you'd recommend listeners today? I'm a big fan of the Prof G podcast. I've been listening to Scott Galloway for a long time. I don't know what you think of him, but I like <laughs> never really I never really followed him. Yeah. I like his stuff. I've been listening to that podcast for a long time. This might be a new one, but Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which is a very chauvinistic book. This is written in the thirties is an incredibly helpful book. I get it out all the time and look at some of the reasons to how to structure the business and think about your business and mission, really important. And then this is one way off. So Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert Heinlein. It's a book that came out, very popular science fiction book. There's a whole thing in there about focus. And our whole conversation was about focus. Every time we come to you focus on a key audience, you focus on a key platform and you get rid of all the other things. And that's why I like that book, because if you get into certain parts, it's really about choosing what's important and focusing on those things and saying no to everything else. And that's strategy to me. Strategy to me is saying no to everything possible out there. So you can say one big fat yes to this thing. So those are my three weird resources, if you will. So my podcast is Prof G Podcast, Scott Galloway. It's great. Think and Grow Rich and then Stranger Strange Line are two books that I would recommend anybody read that are 
that I bet you nobody's recommended as resources for this, but yeah, definitely not. Especially, <laughs> especially the last one. And I love that, like getting inspiration from other type, like don't read books just about marketing and like you can get ideas. And I read and two, two from... fiction books every month as part of my business strategy nice. because I get some amazing content ideas and not necessarily about the book, my mind, the way my mind works and I'm reading yeah, through yeah. somebody else's Same. words. It's so incredible for the creative process, in my opinion. And it goes back to why you shouldn't worry about niching down. You'll be bored out of your mind. You won't because you can connect things that shouldn't be connected together. That's what creativity is, right? So you can obviously solve the problem in so many different ways and you can get inspiration from all of your different interests, right? So it's just never stops. It never stops. Absolutely. Joe, you've been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time today. Where can people connect with you, learn more from you? Yeah, I'm Joe Polizzi, P-U-L-I-Z-I, everywhere on the interwebs, if you will, joepolizzi.com. That's where you can get all my books and newsletter. And then the tilt.com is a newsletter for content creators. If you are interested in this and you want to learn how to do more of this, go to the tilt.com. It's a free newsletter. And then, as you said, our big event is May 1st to 3rd in Cleveland, Ohio, Creator Economy Expo. So right now I'm all things content creator, content entrepreneur, and having fun working through other people's business models. So I can see you got it. Thanks, man. Thank you. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content is coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.